Hello, humans, and welcome to another episode of Tending Trauma with me, your host, Thomas F. Weber. Today, we're joined by Deanne Smith. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you here, too. Yeah. Um, I uh, Would you take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, I'm an artist, a mother, a cancer survivor. I'm an addict in 20 plus years of recovery. And I've spent my life struggling with the effects of complex trauma. Um, I was diagnosed in 1998 at age 31 with PTSD, which um, gave me some hope that if there was a name for what I was dealing with, that there might be answers for it as well. Um, and it did, um, over time, um, I was able to understand better what I was struggling with and why, but, um, it did not prevent me from becoming disabled by PTSD in 2002. Um, but today I'm a trauma recovery coach and I use my long experience and some skills to teach others that each of us holds the key to our own healing and we can use them to free ourselves from the devastations of unresolved trauma. I love that. Wow. That's, <laughs> it's quite a conviction that you've, you've come to. Yeah. But it sounds like it's come from um, a, a long journey of trying to understand just what was going on. Well, my personal journey very much um, mirrors the journey that um, mental health care has itself taken. Hmm. Um, when I was diagnosed with domestically originated PTSD, they were still trying to figure out what to do with battle-related PTSD. Oh, okay. Um, that was during the time where therapists um, were taught that re-traumatization was a good thing. I mean, this was really, really the early stages of beginning to understand how how PTSD affects us, what causes it, and what to do with it. Wow. So one of the reasons I didn't get answers earlier is because the answers weren't there to be had. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I guess like reading um, material, they say that it's like kind of recent, it's like in the last like decade or so that some of this new stuff has been coming out. Yeah, and some of it's newer than that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, I have a fabulous um, self-help book collection, hmm. right? Um, because I started acquiring reading material and research material and self-educational material at mm -hmm. the beginning of this journey. Mm -hmm. And so I've collected books um, all along the way, workbooks and, and informational self-help books and expl explanatory books. And <laughs> wow. Yeah, I have a pretty big library, um, some of which is completely out of date now because sure. <laughs> it doesn't apply. So. Wow. That's, it's kind of fascinating to think that like there was this perspective for such a long time that, that I mean, do you, do you have the ability to like, um, identify some of the biggest flaws with the other ways, the other modalities like exposure therapy or anything like that? Um, I would say the biggest one was hmm. the idea that re-traumatization was a good idea. Hmm. Um, the thought was that, you know, having the, the individual, the client 
re-immersed in the experience itself would provide information and opportunity to resolve that conflict, which it did not do. Sure. Um, and, and it was a genuine desire and effort to resolve something that they really didn't understand. Um, and it wasn't until you know there was a period of time where that was the preferred start of therapy that, that they began to understand they were only adding layers of trauma, not actually opening up an opportunity to heal. Um, but again, you know, that's, that's, a, it's a journey of learning. Yeah. And so we make mistakes. Um, and that's how we best learn is making mistakes. We find out what doesn't work, which narrows us in on what does. Yeah. So. Yeah. I've, I've heard that, you know, in, in, um, in therapy and, and in, um, in coaching that like the, success rate often depends on like the relationship. And so um, sometimes people will, um, they'll judge themselves like as, as a, as a provider, as a provider, they'll, they'll judge themselves as more competent than um, they're necessarily, uh, or than they necessarily are, or, or is maybe even like helpful to, um, you know, if you, if you have this, this higher level of how you feel like you, you're performing, you're not really being critical about like, understanding like what's what's not working i think it it definitely depends on the relationship mm. but not not as a measure of performance mm. um i think that the two are related but not directly connected okay because it's 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 possible for a really empathetic and skilled therapist to or practitioner to to um, to develop a good relationship with a client and still not be able to perform at a level that delivers the desired results. So it's, it's not quite that one dimensional, you know? Yeah. I, and I, and I have had, um, counselors and therapists that I got along really well with, but they weren't very helpful, not because they didn't mm. want to be, but because they just did not have the skills or the or the understanding to be able yeah. to address what I was dealing with. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean that that seems pretty common these days, and 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 back then I'm sure even more so. Yeah. Of, you know, you you you, you jump into a modality or or a, or a tool a, a new tool and and you try it out and um, it doesn't really always apply to to people right in the moment. You know, um, trauma affects individuals in an individual way. There are, there are lots of things that across the board, people who are dealing with unresolved trauma have in common, mm. but, but in terms of, of each individual's experience and, and the path that each individual needs to take, um, that is not common. It, I mm. really, I really think we're still quite a ways off if we are ever able to approach a, this is how you do it model. Yeah. Um, because in spite of the fact that all humans have certain things in common, their experience in life is always individual, mm. always unique, mm -hmm. which is why if you go into a courtroom and, and have three different people who were eyewitnesses to an accident, all three of them will see something different. And that relates directly to what it's like. So for instance, 
my mother once asked me, why do you struggle with this when none of your other siblings do? Hmm. Now, I, I'm the oldest of a lot of kids. Okay. okay? And I would say that uh, there were there are at least three other siblings who do, but it's unrecognized and undiagnosed. On the other hand, I still have a lot of siblings who don't. And the difference is what our individual experiences in yeah. each circumstance. We have individual chemistry, we have individual perspectives, mm-hmm. um, and, and all of that affects it. So yeah. sometimes you can get three people who are in the same situation. One person or two people will come out traumatized and the third person won't, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I don't know that we're ever going to approach um, a one size fits all, how to do it A to Z kind of thing. Yeah, I've, I've heard similar um, perspectives that like a process is just not like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit the map of like what, what, the, the mind needs in order to, to transform from, from having a, a mindset of trauma that it's not really um, cookie. There's not really a cookie cutter way to do it, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. even though like I that's. Think, yeah. Yeah. I think the key is that, that it goes back to something that we've always recognized. It's really old. And that is the only person who can change you is you. Mm-hmm. So it's less about a treatment perspective mm-hmm. and more about a facilitation position from on the part of the therapist. You facilitate the client doing their own work and you guide yeah. them. You provide them with context. You provide them with information. Um, you provide them with a process that inevitably when they use that process, they're going to adapt it as they use it to their own unique need. Yeah. Um, I think well that's said. really the key. Well said. Yeah, I agree with you. Do you, do you feel, <laughs> do you feel like that was um, key in helping in helping your progress? Absolutely. And I, I spent the first 31 years of my life not having a clue what I was struggling with. And the second 30 plus years of my life trying to find someone who could help me. Hmm. And I, I learned to interview people before I engaged in in a session with them Hmm. if they wouldn't talk to me on the phone let me interview them i didn't go to their office because i encountered so many people who were intimidated who are outright frightened really by my diagnosis who admitted just straight up front i don't have what you need um wow yeah and and again remember this goes back over 30 years this experience so um and then there are the people who figured they could do whatever needed to be done, right? And it didn't work because they mm-hmm. really didn't understand what they were doing. Sure. It runs the gamut. Yeah. So um, I did end up with two exceptionally skilled um, and experienced um, therapists. You know, with my PTSD, I'm also dealing with dissociative identity disorder. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, a even more specialized than just um, for the PTSD. Yeah. And um, in the last 20 years, I've had two therapists who specialized in that and had long experience and a lot of skill and they were wonderful. Yeah. They're absolutely wonderful. Um, and definitely 
being able for, for them to be able to respond to my individual um, expression of symptoms and um, preferred method of working through things made a huge difference. Yeah. Um, being, being able to adhere to and notice what your needs were. Yes, absolutely. It makes a huge difference. So hmm. that, uh, I think the thing that, that created the most results for me though, was finding literally an alternative platform um, that happened. And it's, it's kind of weird. Um, after all those years of, of therapy, I woke up one morning for the first time that I, in memory, realizing that I was comfortable in my own skin. And I was like, wow. okay, what just happened? <laughs> wow, what a good insight. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was, I was disabled in 2002. I had gotten huh. to the point where I, I decided, you know, there are some things I just can't change. So I'm just going to figure out the best way to deal with my unique uh, parameters and make the most of what I've got to work with. Sure. And so it's like, you know, thinking outside the box, yeah. finding, a, finding a way around obstacles or under them or over, yeah. or, you know, yeah. going in a different, whatever worked to mm -hmm. improve the quality of my life and my experience. And uh, it never occurred to me after this much time, after over 30 years, that I would wake up one day and find myself at a point of progress like that. And I did. And when I asked my therapist, what just happened to me? She said, well, you know, sometimes that happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes you just have an insight and it yeah, transforms some, your entire life. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I think happened. What I think happened was, you know, the subconscious mind, the unconscious mind is a marvelous, marvelous machine. Mm. And I think that what happened was all of those years of teeny tiny little tidbits of added understanding hmm. of progress, mm -hmm. of shifts in perspective, in shifts in choices, in growth, in boundaries or um, uh, confidence or yeah. willingness to take risk, whatever. Mm -hmm. All of those things added up so that at that point, uh, sometime around August 15th, 2019, mm -hmm. it all came together in my unconscious mind and boom, there I was. Um, wondering how the hell I got there. And uh, it wasn't that none of the efforts I made, none of the assistance I got from the therapists in my life didn't make a difference. It was the cumulative effect. Okay. What, um, was it, was it like you, you knew how to handle stress and like handle dis dissociating or was it like, well, you know, when you live with you, when you live your whole life with dissociation, mm, sure. it's not, not something that comes on you later where you, you yeah. recognize that you're different. But I mean, for me, dissociation was one of the first coping mechanisms that I used before I was even verbal. Okay, so this is super early um, trauma response. And so it's my first go-to. Yeah. Um, it took me a long time to understand what I was doing and recognize when I was doing it. I was in my 40s before I recognized, oh, 
I'm still dissociating and creating alters, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that That's, doesn't mean I wasn't doing it all along, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. It's so, a, yeah. It's a really funny uh, thing. It's weird. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's weird. Even though I've lived with it all of my life, I think it's weird. Um, yeah. So the question you asked me, <laughs> the question you asked me uh, was about waking up different okay yeah what was what was different what was different was that there was an enormous tree bigger than my house and uh there was huge massive windstorm and rain uh in august on august the 15th and it brought the tree down and i was awake when it happened and i had i've lived in this house in fear of that tree falling on the house so i was frightened even though it didn't fall on the house and then I had to go about getting the mess cleaned up, right? Which, and, and some, and there were a couple other things the storm knocked out. And I noticed that none of it freaked me out. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. I was, you know, people were going, why aren't you freaking out? Because I have a group of friends who know me, right? Why yeah. are, you're doing great. How are you not freaking out? Because they would be freaking out. I'm like, I don't know, but I'm enjoying the hell out of this, right? Yeah. I'm not freaking out. Yeah. And, and it was shortly after that, that I woke up and realized again, that I, there were no spaces under my skin that felt empty. There were no places mm. that felt tight. There were no places that were ill. I woke up feeling comfortable in my own skin is the only way I noticed it. I see. Yeah. 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 I, and I'm, you know, familiar with like the, the mind body connection and, and uh Yeah tightness in the muscles being related to different stresses. And yeah. so that's, that's fascinating that it was so like, um, clearly, um, physical for you. Yeah. And so, you know, having spent, um, those years since 2002 growing increasingly more agoraphobic, mm. I suddenly decided this would be a great weekend to go visit my friend. It was 150 miles away. <laughs> <laughs> and I called her and said, Hey, you up for a visit? She's like, Hey, oh, come on. And I went and I stayed longer than I expected to. I wow. never did the whole, Oh, I got to go home sweat thing. Mm -hmm. Had a blast. Hmm. And I came home and I was fine. Wow. And it's just been unfolding like that ever since. But okay. I needed to know what was happening. Yeah. Because I did not want to leave it to chance. I wanted to to nurture this point forward. Um, I, I was impatient for more. Mm. Um, and so I started looking up what could possibly have, I was asking questions differently and I was asking different questions and I was mm -hmm. finding new kinds of information that frankly I had stopped looking for. Sure. And that led me to understand things like, um, quantum energy mm -hmm. and um to reconsider uh, meditation which up until this point in my life was literally impossible mm. um sure uh and and all of the other kinds of alternative perspectives and additional information that have developed in the last five to ten years mm. which eventually led me to um, a practitioner who taught me some very specific trauma recovery tools that went deep into the roots of what started the 
trauma. Okay. And, uh, and allowed me to address those specifically. And, and within six months, within six months, I was experiencing a joy and a happiness for no reason. I don't even remember past the age of five ever being able to experience. Wow. Yeah. I, so. I, I love that you talk, that you talk about the roots, you know, it's something I, I definitely, you know, um, am focused on. I'm, I'm curious, like in those terms, like what did, what do you think like are, like, what is it, what does it mean to explore the roots of your trauma? And then also what, like maybe what worked for you and also like what you think works for other people in terms of like addressing those roots. Right. Well, you know, I did watch um, your YouTube uh, videos. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the family systems facilitation that you mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is very similar, but not exactly the same. Okay. Um, so it's about allowing your unconscious mind to um, interact with your conscious mind. Hmm and then trusting your unconscious mind to do what it's good at doing which is uh, bringing up information now i learned to do this from experience i mean i i think i was in my 30s uh yeah i was in my 30s when i realized that if if, if someone asked me a question and i couldn't think of the answer right away mm -hmm. i would start to say i don't remember i don't know and before i would finish saying i don't know something would come up in my awareness that there would be the answer. And so mm. I'm like, okay, so I have a, a hidden librarian story <laughs> in my head, right? Yeah. And I learned to trust that, hmm. um, to wait a few seconds before I answered to see if that answer would come out of my memory that, you know, again, with the ID and trauma memory is kind of scrambled a bit. Right. But it's in there because yeah. that's what the unconscious mind does. It stores all that. Yeah. So I learned to trust that. And uh, I learned to trust certain kinds of responses that, and I learned to trust that, that my unconscious mind was trying to take care of me, even mm -hmm. if it was inconvenient or frustrating or didn't turn out right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I learned sure. that I learned that sense of trust. So I already had that when we started um, using these tools and to get to the root of where that trauma started, you literally create a conversation between the conscious and unconscious mind um, and, and ask, ask questions literally of your unconscious mind mm. and allow the answers, however weird or yeah. strange they are, you right. allow those answers to, to be trusted and they, they deliver information that gives you the insight to need to, to know what is needed, right. what was lacking, what is needed, and then how to supply that need. It's literally, the tools I use literally teach you to parent yourself, which is the number one complaint of anyone with PTSD, right? <laughs> right. Don't tell me I need to parent myself. Obviously, <laughs> it was never done for me. How the hell do I know how to do it, right? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and you can't get it from a book I tried. Yeah. Everybody's tried. It doesn't mm -hmm. come out of a book. It doesn't, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah. these tools literally teach us to parent ourselves. And like yeah. what you do with, with um, family systems, 
Yeah, internal family systems. Yeah, internal family systems. Like what you do, you're literally addressing whatever part, whatever inner child comes sure. up. Yeah. And asking those questions and then giving that child what they need. It's it Man. is simple. Yeah. It is not I, I, complex. <laughs> it's just hard work. Right. Right. right yeah. <laughs> It, it does, it does sort of seem like it's, it's like the, the, the scariest thing to, to try and parent yourself. It's like, well, you know, what, what do I do? You know, it's this, this, this big void of like uncertainty, but once yeah. you, you know, it, and it is, it, and it, I appreciate how, how you described it. And it is, it does sound like it, it is simple, but um, it's still scary. It's still scary. And it still takes a lot of energy and a lot of courage. Sure. Um, but, but worth because- it. Because yeah, because again, and here's the cool thing. Hmm. You can use these tools to ask questions and you won't always get the answer hmm. because maybe you're not ready to deal with the answer to that question yet, right? So we're back to trusting the unconscious mind to know what's best for us at any hmm. given moment to keep us safe. Um, but then again, when you, when you begin to uh, address these roots, and uh, the, the unconscious mind provides the information for you. Um, that creates um, a progressive pattern of healing. And once you understand that that's happening, you begin to see the effects of that in your life, then you can begin to actually consider, oh, you know, that experience created this belief, that experience created this kind of self-talk, this, this perspective. I don't like that. That doesn't fit who I want to be. doesn't feel right. I want to change it. And you can, you can do that. But doing that kind of thing before you clear the roots of your trauma means it won't stick okay. because you're literally bumping heads with um, your survival instinct. When you do that, you have to stop the, the perpetuation of that survival inspired response. Yeah. Yeah turn off the alarms in your brain right yeah and and shift those chemicals and shift that the way your brain is functioning so that you're not buttoned up against yourself every time you're trying to accomplish something right yeah <laughs> i suppose it, it does sort of feel like um there's like a spiraling of like kind of get losing control where it's like you know you you're in this pattern and, and it just like perpetu and like you were saying like there are even biological yes. and chemical um reactions to that the pattern yes yes absolutely absolutely so this is very exciting for me i'm mm. so passionate about the idea that that people don't have to spend decades in therapy anymore yeah i like that to too. resolve trauma i like that and, too. and and i'm super passionate about the idea that there are people my age you know, mm. baby boomers the people who found out that they had PTSD that when I did people mm -hmm. who didn't find out till they were 60 years old and what they've been dealing yeah. with PTSD, you know, the older population is not being targeted the way kids and younger people are. Sure. I've, I've heard that um, almost every American probably has post-traumatic stress. Well, I um, listened to a lecture from um, a, a PTSD, uh, excuse me, a PhD researcher who was teaching his undergrad class in in psychiatry mm -hmm. no psychology excuse me psychology okay and he it was one of the most grindingly boring and at the same time fascinating experiences okay. i've ever had yeah because 
he was pulling up data from studies. And so he's pulling up charts and he was talking about what the study did and what, and, and some of the studies he um, contended were that the conclusions were incorrect because of this. And it was, it was an hour and a half, almost two hours long. Okay. But the information was fascinating, even he, even if he was boring. Um, and what I learned from him is that, and I'm sorry, I don't know his name. That's okay. Um, I learned that uh, through studies that have been done by his research over uh, other countries all over the world, that 70% of the human population suffers from trauma. You know, it, 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 it would, it would, uh, it would uh, connect a lot of dots. Yeah. But here's the thing about that. Our brains, people who are dealing with trauma feel like there's something wrong with that. Like right. something's not working. Yeah. But our brain is doing exactly what it was designed to do. Hmm. It's protecting us from something that we can't yeah. handle. Well, so I, I remember I was, I was, it was a little maybe 20 years ago, I was talking with a therapist and, and I was, I was talking about feeling like I was broken. And she said, you know, you're not insane. You're capable of rational thinking. You're mm -hmm. capable of sound judgment. Um, and that's because your mind has been protected. So you're dealing with the difficulty but you're not crazy. And that's, I thought, you know, I have this illness that's just never going to go away. Right. And it shifted my understanding of, of what I was dealing with uh, dramatically to recognize that my mind was actually protecting me. Yes. I, I love that. I love that distinction. Not, you're, you're not crazy. You're, you're processing through things in, in a way to help you cope with your yes. um with with the traumatic trauma. life yeah yeah and the, the deal is that our brains are designed to do this this mm. is part of its normal function yeah so the the difficulty is not when we're talking about uh, trauma and the consequences of unresolved trauma the problem is not that we're dealing with trauma the problem is that we have not until very recently understood how to cooperate with our own inbuilt healing mm. abilities. The body Same. heals itself. Yeah. If you break a leg or an arm, you go, you have it set properly so that when it heals, you don't have more problems. But if you don't get it set properly and it heals anyway, mm. then you deal with the consequences of it healing alternative to the, the way right. it was supposed to. Right. But the bottom line is the body heals, whether it heals correctly or not. And the brain is designed the same way. We have an inbuilt healing capacity in our minds and connected to our brains. The two interact inextricably. Yeah. And that inbuilt healing mental and emotional process is something we simply need to understand how to cooperate with, how to stop throwing monkey wrenches into that process and how to nurture the function of that process so that we can create a state of healing that perpetuates itself. Wow. 
And that's not a perspective I've heard many people talk about, but that's what I truly believe. And I, I, uh, I absolutely agree with you. I, I feel like I agree with you um, 100%. Um, yeah. I, so from, from your perspective, because you, you know, you're a baby boomer, um, culturally, from a cultural standpoint, yeah. Um, what, what, what do you think has been going on that's kind of maybe even, you know, made the, the culture act this, act this way and maybe even psychology act in a way that's not been helpful? Like, and what do you, if you have any insights, what do you, what do you think might help to shift it in a, in a, in a different direction? Well, I think it's already shifting in a different direction. Nice. In 1950, mm-hmm. um, there was absolutely no way to have this conversation, not mm. even privately. Okay. <laughs> um, today, we are not only able to talk about things that were considered unacceptable to even recognize, wow. okay, acknowledge as reality, but we're also broadening as a culture, we're broadening our level of acceptance for things that are considered alternative, huh. right? Mm-hmm. Alternative lifestyles, alternative choices, and um, alternative perspectives and alternative beliefs from our own. We are becoming much broader minded. Now, it's not a painless process. Mm -hmm. Okay. But um, I definitely think that we're already moving in that direction in terms of um, what kind of cultural influence complicated things or perpetuated this. I don't think it's cultural. Really? I think it's a human condition. Oh, okay. I think it's cross-cultural. Yeah. And I and I think it's it, it doesn't matter what culture you're in. Now, some cultures are better at nurture and healing. Sure. They're understanding uh, their perspectives and their uh, traditional approaches mm-hmm. for that kind of thing are different from ours. But they wouldn't need to have developed those traditional perspectives and healing processes and attitudes if it didn't exist so i really think it's a part of the human condition Um, and i think it's neither a good nor a bad thing it simply is what exists we learn so much from mistakes and the bigger the mistake and the more painful it is the more adrenaline rush we get when we're in the middle of it the stronger our our um, ability to to learn from it really it's a proportional thing so you know Mm. if you if you almost have an accident and you've got an open beer can in your hand and you manage to like in a snowstorm right Mm. you're at a friend's party it's winter there's snow and you slide into the ditch and you know one of the reasons that 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 happened is because you made a mistake in judgment while you're driving because you had too much fun partying at the friend's house and now mm-hmm. you're on your way home and it was a stupid thing to do mm-hmm. trust me you will never forget that you will never forget that moment of awareness that oh i was stupid and this is why i was stupid mm-hmm. my mom recently um had someone lift a big chunk of money out of her wa- out of her purse in a store and we talked about how that happened and how she could prevent it from happening again. But I remember the first time that happened to me, actually, it wasn't somebody um, taking something from me. I was carrying something that wasn't what I was used to. I was carrying just a clutch and yeah. I had my paycheck in it. 
And because it wasn't hanging on my shoulder or stuck mm -hmm. in my pocket, mm -hmm. I put the clutch down and forgot it. And when I went back, realizing I didn't have it, when I went back to the store, the clutch was there, but all the money was gone. Mm -hmm. And I can promise you, I have a physical memory in my hands of opening that clutch and finding out there was no money in it. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was in my 20s. That, yeah. that kind of lesson has a permanent impact. And so I think that's part of how we learn. I think that's part of how we're designed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and it's a good thing in some circumstances and then in others, it's not. It's just what I mean, we do with it. You know, it's, it's fair to say that things are, things are different, you know, 50s versus now. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, that there was like this atmosphere of not being able to talk about alternative um, alternative ways to, to, to deal with things. Right. Now it seems like it's a little more open. Um, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that like, you know, when, when you have an insight, when you have an awake, a realization um, about like what you did, how you could have done something better. Right. It, it sticks with you. And, and maybe um, as a human thing, it's kind of stuck with us, um, you know, around, around the world. Yeah. To, to, to be more, um, uh, to, to be more willing to approach some of these alternative strategies, um, do with mental health that, you know, we were just weren't considering before. Yeah. You know, the human psyche is an incredibly complex thing. And so is the brain and so is the body. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to make, um, to point out a path that isn't equally complex in terms of how to create positive change, desired, yeah. let's, let's call it desirable change. Okay. Um, but you know, in the 1940s and 1950s, it was not acceptable to actually notice a woman was pregnant. Really? Before that, in the Victorian times, you know, they, they didn't want to use words like arms and legs. They called them limbs and they covered their table legs, huh. with cloths that went to the floor. It's, it's a process of growth in human culture. Wow. No matter, now, of course, at the same time, the Victorians are covering the limbs of their okay. furniture. You know, you could go to India and people were dressed and it, it was an entirely different culture. Wow, you know so, the way you're describing it, it almost sounds like a traumatic response from, like, you know, to to cover to try and protect your yourself as like a a, a means of like, you know, uh, maintaining your innocence or whatever for as long as possible, like some something like that. But or even just you know, protecting your sense of vulnerability. Mm. Um, from the intrusion of others. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's like I said, it's incredibly complicated. And just how that journey unfolds in, in any culture just depends on the culture. And sure, yes, there's cultural trauma. Think about how many times um, the British Isles were invaded. Think about, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. You know, there's, there's that kind of thing is real. Mm. And our experiences do get coded into our DNA and right. do get passed down to future generations. Yeah. So you can't discount that. So it's not a simple answer, but sure. what matters is knowing where you are right now. 
Okay. What are you dealing with right now? Yeah. And and then trusting your mind, trusting your body, trusting your natural healing processes mm. to give you the information you need so that you can follow that trail back to where it started, find out what was missing, supply what was missing. Yeah. And watch that entire thing stop being electrified stop being alive stop affecting you today turns into a memory Mm -hmm. you can choose to access or not it stops being intrusive stops being controlling it's absolutely absolutely the most wonderful thing (laughs) yeah and i guess that takes a lot of courage to to um to to notice what it is that you're missing and not getting and and to not say oh i'm just gonna be fine getting through life without getting that ever well you know who who of us enjoys looking at our imperfections (laughs) right (laughs) i feel like that's like almost inherent to humanity like no one's gonna like it yeah but you know um my advantage in being over 60 Mm -hmm. is that um part of my current imperfection is that i'm no longer 20 (laughs) you know I mean, you have to get to a point of acceptance. I mean, yeah. Some people never do and, and they, and they're miserable the rest of their lives because mm-hmm. they don't, but if you want, if you want to be comfortable in your life at any point in life, you have to be able to say, well, this is where I'm at. You know, that's where I was. I can't be there anymore, but that's not the answer. That's just the place to start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I can look at myself and say, well, I'm not 20 anymore. So I'm not appealing to other people in the same way for the same mm. reasons. I'm still appealing to some people for different reasons. And I still like who I am. It's like I said, it, it's, it's just a place to start, but you do have to be willing to, you know, suck up the discomfort right. and, and look into the places that you've hidden from yourself, that your unconscious mind is protecting you from mm-hmm. knowing knowing that you can trust your unconscious mind to continue to protect you knowing that there is a way to supply what was not available that there is a way to parent yourself to nurture yourself and it's more than candles and bubble bath and right chocolate good food and plenty of sleep it's it, all of those things are, are important but it's a lot more than that yeah yeah, like you said. I mean, you said it many times. So, um, if you're if you're curious, just just review the the the, the cast to hear those those points. Um, well, um, Deanne, is there anywhere that um, the audience could connect with you if they wanted to um, connect with you? Absolutely. Um, I right now I'm only on Facebook. Um, so you can find me at uh, D apostrophe A N N D N Smith, um, my personal profile. You can also find me at under groups at PTSD to free. Um, no, actually, that's my. It's not a group. That's my. Um, that's my coaching page. Okay. I, I, I am a trauma recovery coach. So mm-hmm. if you want to talk to me about that, or you want to see what kinds of things I post, um, you want to send me a message and ask me questions. That's wonderful. I, I love talking to people and I love answering questions. So you can find me at PTSD to free, which is my coaching page, 
or you can find me under D and Smith. Lovely. Well, thank you. Thank you for the um, invitation. Um, I hope that some of you take it up and um, we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening.